the nonprofit MBA purpose is to provide new business insights and fresh creative ideas for executive directors and their teams that will help them improve their organization. Here is your host, Stephen Halasnik. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Halasnik, and I am co-founder and managing partner of Financing Solutions. Financing Solutions is the leading provider of lines of credit to nonprofits. Our line of credit program is easy, fast, inexpensive, and costs nothing unused, making it a great cash backup plan. If you'd like to learn more about the program, please visit us at nonprofitmbapodcast.com. And if you decide to apply today, we will even give you a $250 credit on file, or feel free to give us a call at 862-207-4118. Today, I am excited to be speaking with Jay Vogt. Jay is an, ex- is an organizational development consultant with a core competency in facilitation and a specialty in facilitating large groups. He has over 35 years of experience working with entrepreneurial nonprofits and mission-driven businesses. Jay founded PeopleWorth, PeoplesWorth, a private practice in consulting, training, and cons- counseling in 1982. He holds a master's degree in counseling and a BA from Hampshire College. He lives now in Concord, Massachusetts, and San Miguel de Allende, Mexico. Jay is an accomplished facilitator, mediator, trainer, management consultant, and coach. He is a master at facilitating large groups having led hundreds of events averaging 100 or more participants. Jay's TEDx talk on the the art of facilitation, changing the way the world meets, has received nearly 100,000 views. Jay is a published author of many books and articles. And today, I'd like to welcome you, Jay, to the Nonprofit MBA podcast. Thank you so much. My pleasure. So today's uh, podcast is, uh, is this pandemic the best or worst time to plan for nonprofits? Now, Jay, if you could think of a topic that is more timely <laughs> than anybody was on our minds. I mean, you and I kind of talked off air a little bit about yeah. how you and I are both planners. Yeah. And, and yet I know almost nobody <laughs> who's a planner. And, and I know a lot of people, yeah. um, you know, and then you throw in planners like you and me into a pandemic. Is this the best time to plan or not for a nonprofit? <laughs> well, it's, you know, we were saying that uh, right now, many of us feel like we're in a planless state. We can't make commitments and we don't know what the future is going to hold. And so much of planning in recent years has has had a certain sense of comfort to it that you could make certain assumptions and it could build on those assumptions and have some sense of what you were moving into. We're in a much more fluid and uncertain time now. So my colleagues and I, we're talking about this all the time, trying to figure out how we respond to the needs of our clients, uh, both nonprofit, for-profit organizations now in these times. And I, I, I 
have come up with a with three different ways that that nonprofits seem to be responding to this moment. I call them the the three T's, if you will. One of them is 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 triage, and I'll talk about that in a second. Another is trajectory, and then the third is transformation. And the clients that are in triage mode are really hurting, and there are organizations that. Uh, and it's just heartbreaking, really, both small businesses and, and nonprofits that have built up so much equity, goodwill, financial strength over years. And it's just being uh, shredded in this short period of time. And they need to figure out ways uh, to staunch the bleeding. And mm-hmm. so, you know, an example would be a, a national um, nonprofit membership association that has all of their revenues mostly come from a face-to-face event that happens once a year. And that event, maybe it's not canceled, but it goes online and their revenues crash. So, you know, a colleague of mine is working with an organization like that, and they're all about the next six to 12 months, uh, Stephen, their house is on fire. And so they're, they're looking at questions like how do we dramatically increase the value um, to our members in a very short period of time? How can we stop doing what doesn't add value? And so wouldn't call that strategic planning, but it is a focused um, uh, revisiting of their core assumptions and what the implications are. So I would call that a kind of planning. It's certainly the, the urgent uh, discussions have to happen. So that's that's one thing we're seeing. Um, the trajectory or more fortunate organizations, like I'm working with a uh, residential home for developmentally disabled adults, and they're fortunate. They have a big campus. They have a, a pretty healthy endowment. They've uh, Most of their clients live with them. They have state contracts. So relatively speaking, they have a high degree of stability. They're adapting their protocols, of course, for the virus, but their sense of what the future will hold isn't being dramatically uh, shifted by this COVID challenge. Um, They still face issues, uh, changes in contracts and uh, with with state funding and new relationships, new ways of thinking about how they serve their clients. But those are somewhat independent of the, the virus. And then so, are you, uh, so just to take a step back. Yeah. So the first step is when you're in a triage. Now, are, are you suggesting that, um, that when you're in triage, which is you know, you're trying to save the nonprofit, yeah. that planning goes out the window? No, I'm not saying that. It's more that the time horizon – uh, becomes much shorter. Or, or they're looking at six to twelve months rather than three to five years, and yeah. and the urgency of the questions you ask uh, gets heightened. And so the uh, and people sometimes need to, um, since they don't know what's coming next, they need to try things um, and and learn from feedback. Uh, when you're many organizations have a luxury of planning they kind of can build out a ramp to a, a future well if you're in that triage mode you've just got to do things and get feedback from them t- 
see what works, do continue that, see what doesn't work, stop that. It's much more dynamic and fluid. So uh, in the triage phase, does it, do you think, are you saying to nonprofits and, and other businesses, uh, you know, get into, you're in the triage phase, let's try to get to the planning phase as quickly as we can or no? I, I think that's one way of saying it. There, there's a certain level of stability that one one aspires to return to, and uh, the path to that is is through, uh, you know, you know, a organization just down the street is a, a community arts center. They had built um, a beautiful new theater, multi-million dollar project. They had gotten an equity theater group set up in their stage overnight they went dark um canceled all their shows and they've had to to think they all their expenses continue but their revenues have fallen off a cliff they've got a they've got a dramatically they've got to stop that hemorrhaging yeah now the for some groups though i'll finish my third t which is transformation is some groups are you are either using this time period as an opportunity or they're being forced to use it as a uh, as an opportunity or or they're capitalizing on this as an opportunity to transform their organization in some ways and and they aspire to come out of this virus period uh, stronger than they are now so mm. what an incredible range we've just talked about so an example there is a private school I'm working with, K to, 10, to to eight, and they back in the spring had to just shift pretty much over a weekend from in person to a remote instruction, like many schools have, really tough to do. Uh, but they did it, and their their parents were really really pleased with the experience, which is unusual. Many parents, many kids weren't pleased, and so. That experience was so enlivening in some ways for this organization that now, as part of their strategic planning, they're actively considering uh, a new line of, of, of a new educational and business model where they offer 100% remote instruction to students who could be, of course, anywhere in the world. That's something they never would have even considered if this pandemic hadn't hit. And yeah. now they're starting to get uh, excited about it and seeing it as a, a revenue uh, and growth opportunity. Yep. So you start off with triage, uh, you're working through your problems, then you you know, you get a you, you get a an opportunity to kind of get back to the planning phase, and then after planning, uh, you kind of look at you know how this how can you transform our organization at that point. So those are the three steps that you see. Well, I'm not seeing it chronologically so much, but oh. it, it could be. I, I think some organizations are in the triage mode and that's all, they just have to get through that. That's their only job. Other groups are starting off right at that transformational level and others are more comfortable and they're starting off at the trajectory level. So um, it's, it's really assessing uh, how much of a body blow uh, this pandemic has given your organization and whether it's closed your window of opportunity or opened your window of opportunity hmm. and then, and then responding in, you know, appropriately to that situation. I mean, I would think that the nonprofits uh, in general, 
Um, but they're just itching to get back to planning. Yeah. Right. Well, we, I mean, the human mind loves consistency and we, we, uh, we want, we're more comfortable with things, uh, being a continuation of what they've been and change, although it's exciting, is, is frightening and threatening for many of us. So, and like I said, many of these organizations that I'm seeing struggle right now have done everything right, Stephen. They, yeah, yeah, they've yeah. built up great relationships with stakeholders. They're mission focused. They've, they've, they've run financially tight ships. They built up surpluses. They were doing everything right. And, and they're still getting cut off at the, at the knees and it's that's what's so heartbreaking to yeah, watch yeah. i get it i get yeah. it so what so when a, when a nonprofit decides to go ahead with planning yeah uh how do they actually do it we are working virtually under these type of conditions and it certainly depends on where you are but so so how do they move forward well I, i've given this a lot of thought you know one of the things we've all experienced is what some psychologists call and anticipatory grief it's like we're, we're losing things we never had but that we 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 wanted to do like a plan we might realize you know i i've get great joy out of facilitating live groups and working with the energy in that group and and i love the big impact that working with large groups has everybody in the same room on the same page and i've i've had to 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 just breathe into the fact that it's possible. I mean, never be able to work that way with clients again, uh, and that's it, just incredibly sad. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna quit. We all have to adapt. So what does adapting look like to these new conditions? Well, the first thing everybody's done is they've, they've gone online with their their Zoom meetings, and Zoom meetings allows us to, to work from home. It allows people to be remote, and we can at least see each other. And, and have conversations, and that's a big plus. It's a big blessing, but it's also created a, a, a Zoom fatigue among among many folks who who are just not we're not necessarily designed just to be on screens all day, and yet many of us are are doing it. Um, the uh, so there are platforms, uh, collaboration platforms that try to mimic what happens, you know with a live facilitator in a, in a small team environment. There's a meeting sphere, there's Miro, there's Mural. And I've looked at uh, these platforms and they're good. They, 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 they give us, they approximate some of the dynamic uh, flow that happens in a, uh, like a planning team meeting with a facilitator and having a dynamic discussion because they allow you to picture things, to introduce slides, to maybe have like virtual post-it notes and whatnot. My big problem with those is that they don't scale. The What I have found is one of the most dynamic parts of being a collaboration-based planning consultant is engaging lots of stakeholders. Um, whether If it's a school, it's the parents, it's the students, it's the alumni, it's the faculty and staff and the administrators, it's the businesses that hire the graduates. So you've got all these folks and with a large group, you can put them all in the same room, put them at different tables and create these extremely diverse, vibrant, uh, dynamic conversations. How do you approximate that online? Well, the, these 
the, the platforms I've seen, um, they break down when you start to scale. And at what, at what point do you think, like, and let, I want to re, uh, reiterate these platforms because I actually, you know, I just heard from my, my sister-in-law who works for an advertising agency that they used Neuro. They, they used it and, and it was fantastic for, yeah. for the group. Now it was a small group, yeah. you know? So where do you think, like, so th- you mentioned too, meeting sphere. Yeah. And, 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 and Miro. And Miro. And, and, oh, uh, Miro. Okay, yeah. And, so. um, and Mural. It's a two similar name. M-U- how, do you, how do you spell it? M-U-R-A-L. Oh, oh I got you. Yeah. Where do you think it breaks down? Well, you, what you just mentioned is my experience. It works well for a small group. Um, and a small group, I you know, I'm when I'm constituting planning groups for planning process, I usually say large enough to be representative, small enough to be efficient. So five to eight. Um, yep. the, yeah. the, that's the size I think works well with those tools. And if if you're going to just take a planning committee through a series of steps and you're not engaging others, that, that those tools might work. Yep. Um, what, uh, what, what I'm interested in is, is tools that could work with bigger groups or at least have the possibility of engaging those bigger groups. So, um, um, my, um, the concern, uh, you know, uh, that, that I'm trying to, not the concern, that the dynamic that I'm trying to replicate online is something that we facilitators call the facilitation diamond. So if you just picture uh, a diamond, Stephen, it's got a point on the left, a point on the right, and it's kind of fatter in the middle. If you go from left to right, that mimics the processes we, we often have in groups. It starts with a, a diverging of, of views where we lay lots of things on the table. We generate ideas and get, things get more broad before they get narrow. And then you reach a point where you say, okay, we diverged enough. Now we want to converge. We want to narrow our focus. We want to come back. So the classic example might be, what are the strengths of this organization? And we can brainstorm 10 or 20. And that's the diverging phase. Well, then we want to bring it back and say, well, what are the top five? Uh, and we, we, we narrow it some, through some process, whether it's using adhesive dots or what have you, or if you're talking with people or show of hands or just dialogue, we need to mimic that. And because uh, underneath many great meetings is this, cycle of asking open-end questions that generate lots of possibilities, then a mechanism to, to create focus. And then out of that focus, another set, another open-ended question might come. So if you do a, what people call a SWOT analysis, you kind of go, what are the greatest strengths? What are, what are our strengths? What are the, the top strengths? What are, what are possible weaknesses in an organization? What are the top weaknesses? You do that with opportunities. You do that with threats. And then that brings you to an assessment you can ask another big open-ended question. What are the critical strategic issues facing our organization? Well, that widens out. But if you can get to a handful, three to five critical strategic issues, now you've got a platform to, to have a great conversation about your goals. So to me, that is like the breathing of, of, of consultation and facilitation. It, and how does one create that in a way that scales online? The only the only uh, platform I've found that seems to do that, I'm, there are probably others, I just haven't found them, is one called Power Noodle. And I'm 
not affiliated with them, uh, you know, and have no business relationship. I'm just a, a fan. So uh, they they um, uh, offer an opportunity for t- stakeholder groups, planning teams to work uh, asynchronous, asynchronously, so not all at the same time at their own pace and also anonymously, which is interesting. And mm-hmm. so you have what working through a platform like that allows you to mix what uh, uh, I call solo time, where you're working at your own desk with uh, on this platform, answering open-ended questions like what are the strengths of this organization, things like that. Um, and then also returning later to do a rating uh, with multiple votes or some uh, dollars so uh, that you can create that focus. And a, a, an organization can have multiple conversations within these, what they call decision spaces. But the solo time, what's beautiful about it is that it sets up uh, 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 information, uh, insights, data, conclusions that then can be reviewed by a planning team in a classic Zoom meeting. But when that group comes together, maybe that's this group of five to eight, maybe in the the platform time, they've had a larger group of stakeholders, of staff, a board, maybe 20 people, 30 people, 40 people all engaged in this one conversation. They are able to generate some results. And then that group has that data to review and it's Zoom meeting. So you've only got an hour, maybe 90 minutes most with a group by Zoom. You want to make every minute count. So doing this offline, um, asynchronous, anonymous work on a platform that helps process this this data uh, uh, syncs up beautifully with with a Zoom meeting. So you can think of it like a strand of pearls where each pearl is a is a, a Zoom meeting and the thread is this work that happens offline uh, that that preps material for it. Can you follow you, me, Stephen? I, yeah, and you know what? The thing, software, it, it's amazing, isn't it? Because, you know, what it, you know, other than organizing you, it really teaches you best practices. Mm-hmm. You know, it's these people who started these companies, they were like, you know, maybe there was someone like you, who who facilitates meetings? Who help uh, uh, nonprofits become much much more uh, effective at brainstorming and yeah. and, and yeah. getting more out? And they took it and they broke it down into little parts. <laughs> and then they said, you know, it's and then all you need to do is follow the process. Bingo! Yeah, and you know, it's really amazing. I mean. Uh, so when you're saying you know use meeting sphere and 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 morale uh, moral morale I can't pronounce it yeah, yeah. Um, use them for smaller type of meetings yeah, and yeah. use power noodle for the bigger type of meetings or yeah. or you, maybe you could use power noodle for both. Well, you can certainly use it for both. The the it's interesting what you say because a client that I've worked with who knows me really well has actually introduced me to this platform because they thought it would be helpful in the clients that they serve. And he said, it looked, when he saw the software, he said, it looked like they took my brain and downloaded it and turned it into software. And yeah. I, in other words, the, the I think that is the way great software is done, is, is that the designers look at masters who are doing this work and see what they're doing that works. And then they model that and figure out a way to do it online. And 
and I, I, for a time, despaired that I might find any platform that seemed to mimic the, 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 the more sophisticated kinds of big picture work that I've done with large groups. And I'm starting to feel uh, optimistic now. The clients that are working in this this hybrid way, where there's some sometimes online on the platform, sometimes on Zoom, you know, are we're getting getting results? And I'm I'm encouraged. Uh, everybody would love for it to be different. We all know that it is what it is, and it's not potentially going to change anytime soon. So, I for one am grateful that we're finding ways of adapting that still. Um, uh, give us uh, much of what we had before, uh, if if not if not all. So so now with virtual strategic planning, yep. you know, with the software, even um, what it, what is the practice of strategic virtual planning really look like in these conditions? Yeah, well, so so it's a great question. You know, for example, a board had hired me this summer to do a a face to face one day retreat um, in California. It's not going to happen or it isn't going to happen. Um, so I'm still in that place now where I'm taking assignments where uh, people had anticipated to do something face-to-face and we're translating it uh, or transforming it into virtual. I'm also starting to get new assignments where the operating assumption is we're never going to meet <laughs> the whole consultancy. We're never going to meet, and and so uh, that I'm at, right now this summer we're, I'm experiencing that shift. So anyway, so that, you think about a a full day with a, a board. You've got uh, maybe ninety minutes before the morning break, and another ninety minutes or seventy five before lunch, and then you've got uh, some time after lunch. Maybe you end. At 3:30, maybe you go on another time after an afternoon break. And what you actually got is is three or four hour and a half, hour and a quarter work sessions in a day. So we took those three to four sessions and we we broke them apart uh, and ma- made them about a week apart. And then in between, uh, we did these uh, power noodle sessions where for three days people got to answer open-ended questions. Then I closed the platform for a day, combined like ideas with like, just like I would be doing with post notes in front of a, a group live, and then opened it up on the Friday for people to come back in and, and rate. And then we closed it and sent the reports over the weekend and had a meeting, say, the next Monday. We did this three or four times with a group of 28 board members and staff kind of running through a, a whole process. So it took it – took, uh, it took a month under this model to do what we would have done in a day, but nobody traveled, nobody got unsafe. So that that's one model. Uh, another client we had a two-day session set up, and I'm very excited about getting a global group together. And when I laid out this scenario, the client was like, "No, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna stretch this out over a over a month." That's that's just too much. People be on vacation, blah, blah, blah. So we're doing a, a sprint. We're, we're picking a week where everybody's going to be available. And we're going to do two-hour Zoom meetings every morning from on Monday to Friday. And the afternoon, we're going to do the asynchronous, anonymous work. There'll be some in the front end the week before. And people will have a chance to call team members and connect to some some tiny 
bit of connection like we would have had face-to-face. Um, and, and we'll just uh, race through what we can do in a week. Um, yeah. Another way this looks is classic uh, format of a nonprofit doing a strategic plan as a, uh, a strategic planning committee, again, like five to eight people. And, and they can do, sometimes they meet once every three or four weeks over the course of like six months. And they can still continue to do that by Zoom. But all the prep work is done through the, the collaboration or in Power Noodle's case, that they call it the decision engagement platform. If, if, if you had to guess, let's say a smaller nonprofit yeah. or smaller nonprofits, do you think that they're better at planning or they're better at executing? Well, uh, you know, I think smaller nonprofits are closer to startups, uh, right? Uh, a term we often apply more to businesses. And I think uh, it, when you look at it that way, you know the answer has to be they're, they're better at executing. They, yeah. they, they get projects up and running. They get immediate feedback from their stakeholders, their beneficiaries, and they um, and they make improvements and keep going. And uh, they can often exist in a, a period of time where they're just kind of hurtling through space without really a sense of what uh, of what a uh, a planned growth uh, period might look like. Um, and- well, it makes sense because you you have to think about the more complex an organization is, the harder it is to get everybody on the same. Uh, path and yes. number two is um, there uh, b- because as the bigger the organization gets the more things that you're getting involved with the yes more projects so so I you know it makes sense where planning has to be a bigger part of your I mean at what point in revenue I don't know if that's the best way to, or at what point do you think you see from your experience a Planning having to be a bigger part of an, a nonprofit's. Uh, uh, when do you see that turn where they have to move from, you know, going by the seat of their pants versus okay, now we got to take a step back and start planning. Yeah, you know, it's it's really interesting. There, the the data I have is there's a million and a half nonprofits in the United States, and and a million of those have revenues of a million dollars or less. So. There's a lot of nonprofits, and most of them are on the small side. You know, we think of hospitals and universities. The big nonprofits just eat up the lion's share of, of the assets and the donations and, and what have you. But the nonprofits that touch most of our lives are are really small, and they're uh, in in communities and they're community driven. And so, you. Know, if you're that upper echelon, that above the million, you've got operating revenues, you can hire consultants, you've got complicated, not complicated, you've got sophisticated planning systems. When you're under a million, you tend to have, it's like small business, you have all the complexities that a bigger corporation has, but you have hardly any of the resources to deal with it. So those smaller to mid-sized nonprofits are are the ones that I've always tried to to help because their their mission is great, their needs are great, and and they 
they're very resourceful and entrepreneurial and they can take a little bit and make it go a long way. So sometimes the planning processes that I I end up doing with these smaller nonprofits, they don't have to be sophisticated. uh, But a lot of times, like you say, Stephen, they're good at executing. They've got the ideas of what it is they want to accomplish. They're kind of in the air. They're, They're being talked about. Maybe they're decisions that are even being talked about, but they're not resolving them. So if they can go through even a relatively tight, relatively simple process where they assess where they are, they look at their big picture guiding ideas, they define some critical issues, they set some goals, and then for those goals, they define some objectives and some some success metrics. It's a relatively simple model. And yet for most of those smaller nonprofits, it's all they need and it's far better than far far better than than no plan at all yeah yeah so when when a nonprofit bring i mean what's the typical scenario about why and how a nonprofit is bringing you on well the um, different organizations look for different types of uh, consultants and there are consultants out there that are um, particularly masterful at um, crunching data around community needs, or they really know the state contracts, or they, they're really good with the financials, they can do business planning. You know, that's not my area of expertise, and I refer clients out who have those kinds of needs. My clients uh, tend to be those who already have some momentum, they already have uh, dynamic leadership. They just are looking for alignment. They want to bring everyone together to create a shared vision of the future, uh, a shared roadmap for how they're going to uh, get from here to there. And they're really looking for somebody who can facilitate uh, that those conversations, get the good thinking that's already in the organization up, out, and and crystallized and agreed upon. And then many of these same organizations, they they can take a plan like that and just run it. They don't need the consultant's help to figure out uh, how to implement it. They they need the help to get clarity on what it is we all want to uh, achieve and accomplish. Yeah. So we have a couple of minutes left. Yeah. Um, let's leave uh, our listeners with some takeaways. And as your recommendation um, for, you know, how to deal with planning in this pandemic, um, you know, maybe you could tell our listeners uh, three key items that you would recommend based on your experience. Sure. Well, the first one is I wouldn't put all your chips on waiting until this is over. Um, it's uh, we're likely we should at least have the operating assumption that this pandemic is going to be with us for a period of time and that the, that delaying action till some imagined future date uh, could n- not serve us. So that's the first thing. So don't wait to, for action or don't, don't wait to act or don't wait to plan. Don't, uh, I would say both. You know, I, I have folks, who, clients who have said, Jay, we were going to work with you, but, uh, we're, we're just going to postpone until we can all do it face to face. 
and I, I say, well, I respectfully disagree with that choice. I think you should now look at the, my second takeaway is that there are ways to convene uh, people virtually and remotely that approximate the live experience. We just have to be more creative and we have to be more adaptive. And, and let's just say for the sake of argument that those ways of coming together virtually and remotely enabled by these platforms and people who do what I do, it gets you 85% of what you would have had with a face-to-face -face experience. I'm no longer looking at that missing 15% and saying, ain't it awful? I'm looking at the 85% of what you're getting and saying that is so much better than waiting or postponing or not taking action or not planning. So that would be my second takeaway is if you're, if you're not going to wait, find uh, tools and techniques that allow you to get most of the value you would have had from a face-to-face -face kind of planning experience now while it still has a chance to, to feed your, your organization and enliven it. And a third? The third. Well, let's see. Um, I, you know, I'll, I'll add one. I yeah, know you probably have, but not add one. I was going to ask you this question on the yeah. second one, waiting to see if you had the third one was going to cover it. But yeah. it was, um, don't don't wait. I mean, that I probably a lot of nonprofits may not either be bringing you on board or maybe thinking of using the software because of the cost. And, you know, when you, when, you know, certainly when you're in this triage mode, it's like cut expenses, cut expenses, cut expenses, yeah. but it might be just, you know, cutting expenses despite the nose in your face. You know, it's like, it's, it's probably, it could be uh, the best money you spend that could save the organization. Well, um, do you feel that way? I, and I, I, obviously I do, and it's one of the reasons why I've been in business so long. Some consultants say that that this, this field is, is a bit recession-proof because when things are growing, people need consultants to help channel the growth, and things are um, retracting. They need consultants to help them make these hard decisions. And um, it's – so so there's a, there's a need and a role for outside expertise, a third-party – neutral uh, in, in either scenario and and where people like myself are privileged to to play that role um, and but it's a it's a choice every organization is going to have to yeah, yeah. make for themselves uh, they have to see the the value um, and I guess the last point that I would make my last takeaway is to, to end on a more optimistic note is that I I am seeing uh, clients uh, being resilient. I am seeing organizations embracing transformation. I am seeing folks find uh, creative new pathways forward. And so my last takeaway would be to to take heart, to be be strong, and and know we've gone through things like this before. We've always triumphed on the other side. So try to find uh, the, the, the courage in oneself to, to, to keep innovating and adapting uh, uh, to find the silver lining in, in this, this pretty horrific experience we've been handed. Yeah. And I'll, I mean, I'll add on to that too, Jay. And that was, um, you know, with my business career, I, I've been through three recessions before, uh -huh. and, you know, 
some of the listeners may not have been through a recession, yeah. you know, yeah. um, each one is of course different. And, and the thing that I learned in, in every single case, well, you know, certainly more no so now is that if you can change your, your focus to, okay, what do I want my organization to look like six months, 12 months from now? Yeah. And, you know, while you're working to do the triage, yeah. uh, you know, if you can focus your team or your energy uh, in that area, it, it gives you a new sense because at some point this, uh, you know, recession, this pandemic, it's going to be over. Yes. And, 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 and the ones who prepare themselves, the ones that have planning – Yes. Are the ones that are going to thrive when it all ends. Yes, absolutely. I've seen commentators describe this pandemic as a great accelerator of of trends that were already present in our society and in our culture. It's there. We're adding gasoline to the fire, like working remotely, working at home, using technology for meetings, not traveling to business meetings, a whole range of things that were already simmering are now on a boil. And so that's that's an accelerant that can drive change. I know organizations that are thinking about uh, letting things go that they would never have let go under previous circumstances. So it's a, it's a, a crisis that's created an opportunity and the organizations that are going to thrive in the future, the ones you're describing, are the ones that are going to seize this moment and not, not, not quit. Great. Well, that's a great way to end it on a positive note. So, <laughs> um, you know, so I would really like to thank so very much uh, Jay Vogt. And just for the, everyone know, the spelling of Jay's last name is V-O-G-T and um, from People's Worth. And uh, Jay, is the website People's Worth? Is it peoplesworth.com? Yes, it is. Yeah. Okay. So P-E-O-P-L-E-S. W-O-R-T-H dot com. And, you know, if you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. If you like today's podcast, please give us a review on your podcasting app to help us get the word out. And of course, if you're looking for a line of credit for your nonprofit, you can call us at 862-207-4118 or visit our website at www.nonprofitmbapodcast.com. Jay, if anyone wants to uh, get in touch with you, how would they go about reaching you? Uh, simplest way is by email. Uh, it's jay at peoplesworth.com. That's the word people, the letter S, the word worth, peoplesworth.com. Love to great. talk to folks. Jay, it was just a very timely, great um podcast. Thank you for being on it. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. And for all our listeners out there, I just want to thank you all for making the world a better place. You're here. Everybody, everybody stay safe. <laughs>